Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You're listening to the Big Squid Podcast, and today we're presenting a new Space Policy episode. Join Ben Elwood and me for part two of our look back at the original version of Planet of the Apes. Thank you for joining us for part two of our look back at this wonderful film, Planet of the Apes, all the way from 1968, and it is still as good as ever. If you haven't listened to part one, make sure you do that first. And don't worry, Ben and I will be waiting for you right here. Before we get into it, a quick reminder that I'll be in Adelaide on June 3rd performing at the Rhino Room, and Big Squid listeners can get money off their ticket by using the promo code HAMO. H-A-M-M-O. So if you'd like to come along and see me in the human flesh, uh, please uh, head over to adelaidecomedy.com and you can use that promo code to score yourself a discounted ticket and make sure that you uh, hang around to say hello because that'd be nice to have a bit of a chat as well. We also have a Patreon supporter for this podcast. Everyone who signs up to Patreon has an episode dedicated to them and our Patreon shout-out goes to Taylor Andrews who has been a supporter for quite a while now. And thank you for doing that, Taylor, and being a part of our community. And thank you so much for your ongoing support. I hope you've enjoyed this two-part look back at one of the great science fiction movies of all time. Right, let's grab Ben, bring him back in, and get into part two of our deep dive into Planet of the Apes. Man has no understanding. He can be taught a few simple tricks, nothing more. You did it. You cut up his brain, you bloody baffles! It's a man! It's a man! Taylor impresses everyone with that paper plane. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned before, it's such a great scene. Now, what would you do if an animal did that for you? What, made a paper plane? Yeah, and threw it. That would be what, like, the greatest delight of my life. I've always wanted to be friends with an animal beyond just, like, me going, we're friends! Yeah. But, like, to actually know that there was uh, a, a consciousness in there that, that was that 
uh, intelligent would thrill me. I'd take that animal on the run with me, and we would uh, <laughs> we would go on adventures. I would being chased, solving crimes from town to town while being chased <laughs> by the authorities. That's exactly what I'd do with that. I'd be, I'd, 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 I'd start up a PT Barnum type uh, carnival sideshow. It was like oh, the yeah. dog that makes paper airplanes. Everybody, oh my lord, that'd be great. You make so much money, <laughs> and you can do it all online as well. You wouldn't even have to travel. <laughs> Uh, there is quite a long court case, and it is interesting to see Heston stripped down again. Like, he is, like, nude for a lot of this movie. Yeah. He's also placed with Nova to have sex with her, and he's also threatened with castration and to be lobotomized. Yes. This film came out in 1968, which is the end of the Kennedy Johnson era. It is also the middle of the Vietnam War and the hopelessness that permeated American society at the time. By this stage, Heston has become a metaphor for how America sees itself. For all his physical attraction and brooding power, he is powerless to stop what he sees as inferior beings surround him and tear him apart. Mm. Even though that is a powerful image for us to contemplate, I find it really funny watching him to be treated like this. <laughs> is one of the great aspects of this movie that rarely gets mentioned is that it is a very darkly funny satire. Yes. Like, I don't think people talk about how funny it is. Yeah, it's really funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, watching him be treated like that is... <laughs> It's entertaining. <laughs> is that part of you that's like, is that part of your teenage self that sees a, a guy that, that is that kind of uh, alpha and masculine and roided up getting uh, dehumanised? You're like, yeah, but I, I, shit. No, I just think it's in the movie. Like, I think yeah, it's no, there. It's, like, I think it is literally yeah. because they like literally start with him being that person mm. and then it's just sort of like look what we're going to do to him now and check this out <laughs> let's put lipstick on his nipples wow what are you going to do yeah, you yeah, know yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's uh well, it's definitely it's definitely rare of that era to see a guy like that uh treated that way like De- yeah. dehumanized quote unquote constantly yeah, yeah just yeah, yeah. constantly i love it when he's being hosed oh yeah this is a madhouse oh it's so good <laughs> like he just can't like he is can't get a break like if this if, if if this was set now, this is someone coming back at him on Twitter. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a crazy moment in the cave where we find out that Cornelius has already discovered a hint about the true history of the human beings. So there is uh, two things to discuss here. Is Taylor a willful idiot to not realise he might actually be on Earth when he finds traces of false teeth and a, and a baby doll? Like... Yeah, I mean, I, I, we spoke earlier about, like, you know, how could the twist have been that much of a surprise? Right. And the only thing I can chalk it up to is that thing we talked about, you know. Yeah. The, the movies of that era just were set with other human. But from the character's point of view, even if you didn't tweak, I don't know how at that moment you couldn't be like, that's odd. Yeah. A little doll that I'm yeah. actually very visually familiar with that's saying mama yeah. and dentures and glass. Maybe I am back on earth. Yeah. I wonder. You know, like, especially when he knows that a lot of time has passed. Right. It doesn't seem that out of, you know, um, the realm of possibility that you've just U turned and landed back on your own planet. I guess it is one of those things where, uh, once again, I think uh, maybe applying uh, modern movie making mm. skills to when it was filmed it probably it probably starts to go too far off into uh, away from the satire mm. and away from the metaphor if he starts to mm. clock things i guess he's still so full of himself and he's still yeah. like you know he's still being a superior asshole in that moment going well, look at this i know what this is yeah, look yeah, at you yeah, yeah, you yeah. know so I, I, I think a good way to think about this movie is it was written by um rod steiger 
No. Rod Steiger. <laughs> What's his name? God. What's his name? No, no, no. I've got it. Uh, I've got it in the squid bits. It's uh, Rod Serling. Rod Serling. The, yeah. t- the 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 genius behind the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Uh, and really, this movie is. A feature length episode of the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Like it's a perfect Twilight Zone premise. Oh, yeah. I've got some good squid bits about um, it too. And in fact, if you go to, I believe it's on YouTube, some person has re edited the entire Planet of the Apes as a 25 minute Twilight Zone. Oh, have episode. they really? And yeah. it's in black and white. Yeah. And it starts with Serling, you know, out there in the universe. Yeah. Like the narration and everything. Yeah. And it works perfectly as a. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of these questions about his. Uh, whether he's tweaked or not, you know, wouldn't uh, be as forefront in the brain if this was pared down into a half-hour story. Yeah. I think it's just that it's stretched out, so you've got a bit more time to kind of go, come on, bro. Like, come on, work it out. But, yeah, it is uh, – yeah, I think it's probably just uh, uh, a, f- a fundamental fact of the building blocks of the yeah. movie that if you start having that, then, you know, he's, he, he's a man of action. Like, yeah, he's yeah. not – you know, sitting around contemplating things, uh, but uh, that's interesting. When we when we get to the squid bits part, I wonder. Uh, remind me, uh, there's a story that's very similar uh, in Twilight Zone. So I'm wondering if they edited part of that into sure. into it. Just off the back of this, do you mm. think? Because you know, we we get we get introduced to this character. He doesn't like humanity. He specifically left the planet to get away from humanity. Yeah, he's hoping to find something better in the better. universe. So is his grief at the end? You blew it up. Is that not his mourning for the extinction of humanity, but his despair over the fact that humanity is finished and it was replaced with something uh, more retrograde? Right. Well, probably a bit of both as well. Like, uh, uh, you know, they were idiots. They blew everything up. It's been replaced with something that, as you said, is retrograde. Mm. And then also he didn't find anything better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right, I guess yeah. his journey has ended in failure. Mm, yes. That's yeah, uh, interesting. While he rides off with his girlfriend that he doesn't even know if she has a vagina. That's right. Because <laughs> she could just be like a storm point, mannequin. It she, could just be- she could be in a, like, at this point, he still thinks he's on an alien planet. <laughs> but he's, he's willing to find out. Um, second, what is your reaction to the doctor blowing up the cave? Like, that is... Uh, once again, as a metaphor, that is a confronting scene. Oh yeah, I think that I think that's one of the truer metaphors of the whole thing. You know, like uh, the destruction of actual knowledge. Yeah. In in the pursuit of pursuing a, a myth. Yeah. Uh, to ostensibly protect society, but who the fuck are you to protect society? Yeah. You know, you've kind of this self-anointed wise man that knows better than everyone. And, yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, maybe that, maybe that is a true thing. Maybe. You know, what the, has been covered up? Yeah. You know, like what has been covered up over the years? You totally. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe, the, maybe the, the, the dissemination of the true information to the general population is going to create chaos and carnage and all the rest. Yeah. Um, but, you know, is, is denying people the autonomy uh, his, his right? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah, yeah. It's a... Uh, it's, uh, once again, in a, in a movie that has a lot to say, it's a it's a full on scene. Mm. Uh, the you remember oh, you were probably too young, but I remember when they were uh, when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls mm. and what they were hoping to find from that, and that just kind of uh, look. I say this as someone who has not read about the Dead Sea Scrolls and only just 
uh, kind of uh, thought about them again over the weekend. Mm. But I remember there was all this talk about this is going to reveal a lot and then it just kind of <laughs> petered out. And I, I, I don't know if... Um, and if anyone knows about this, please let us know at the uh, Big Squid Facebook page. But the I don't know if... It, maybe it just turned out to not be very interesting or if they did kind of go, oh, this is going to cause some troubles. Mm. Let's not report that bit. Yeah, it's... um. I don't know. I, I, something we haven't mentioned about Dr. Zayas is the uh, the fact that he is the keeper of the religion and also mm. the science minister. And the science minister, uh, yeah, yeah. And that is pretty. Uh, you know, it's one of those. It's one of those things you see in in film where you're kind of like, well, that's a bit ridiculous. And then you go, oh no, the Tony Abbott's the minister for women. Yeah, like that's there's a lot of real world examples of that yeah. kind of insanity, yeah, well, and that kind of contradiction. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's all kind of happening. Uh, he's a he's a Scientologist. That's what he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, great performance by the actors under all that makeup as well. They totally. do all have uh, their own characters, and oh, yeah. even though the makeup is extraordinary, especially for the time, like yeah, yeah, the yeah. Dr. Zayas, you know, there is. Uh, you can see the weight of everything that's happening uh, yep. on his shoulders. And Zira's eyes are incredible. Oh, the way yeah. she gets all wide-eyed. And, yeah. And it's fantastic. Yeah. So, so expressive. So the ending, it's funny. Like, you get to the ending, and then when, when you really dig into it, uh, as I have already banged on about, there's so much going on. One of the greatest endings in movie history, The Lapping of the Waves, uh, our only companion as the film ends. Taylor realises they've been on Earth all along and falls to his knees. His stiff upper lip cracks and his facade is shattered. He has criticised humankind for the way we treat each other, yet acts in that very same way. There are two symbols brought low, the idea of America and the reality of America. The, mm. uh, furthermore, he's on his knees in front of two women, one who physically can't console him or really understand what he's going through, and a metaphorical woman whose promises are broken and rusted over. Oh, and remember, yeah, I worked hard on this. And uh, remember, this is all after he's just been told by Dr. Zira, who he has decided he's going to snog, but you're so damned ugly. <laughs> A bit of bestiality for the, in the mix. Oh, Lord. Is this one of the most powerful images of despair and self-loathing ever projected onto the big screen? Totally. And, you know, and, 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 and you know, as much as I love all the parody of it, I think that's the ultimate tragedy of the parody. Is yeah. That it is a prof- – it's profound. Profound. It's a profound yeah. image. Uh, and yet, all I see when I watch it is – Troy McClure going, oh, yeah. I hate every ape I see from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You blew it up! Well, Damn I, you! I actually found the ending to be quite arresting this time because, uh, you know, as I said, like, uh, like I had to really focus on it mm. and kind of push out yeah. all the uh, extraneous baggage. pop culture noise that uh, surrounds it. Yes. And then as, you, as you're breaking it down, and, you know, it, it is fascinating between these two female mm. symbols and... Mm. Uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's saying a lot about humankind. It's saying a lot about masculinity. It's yeah. saying a lot about how America perceives itself at that particular juncture in time. Totally. And, uh, you know, once again, you can understand why, you know, many decades on, we're still talking about this film totally. and that ending. The, the, you know, the other thing that is difficult with uh, the, that the... Uh, takes away a bit of the power of the ending is the fact that the Statue of Liberty has been used in so many other things as well. Yeah. So, uh, but this is where it's used the most effectively. Well, also, I think back in 1967, that's when this film came out, 68, right? yep. 68, I think the image of Lady Liberty 
had a lot more resonance than it yeah. does now. I, again, you know, I think part of the collapse that America is going through at the moment is the collapse of their symbol system. Yeah. Uh, it's the realization that all these things just hadn't... Did they ever mean anything? Probably yeah. not. I mean, you know, it, 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 symbols only ever have the meaning that a human pours into them. Yeah. And, um, you know, but, uh, you know, it, it's... it's. I, I, I thought on 9-11, you know, God, can you imagine if a plane had gone into the Statue of Liberty? That would have right. been, you know, symbolically yeah. devastating beyond even what happened. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think, uh, again, it's not just that you have to cult- shed the, the pop culture... Baggage, when you see that image, you have to remember what that image meant yeah. 50, 60 years ago. You know, much, much more than it does now. There's still, uh, uh, you know, a, a few generations of people who came by boat mm. to America mm. and would see that as the first uh, image, the totally. first symbol when they, totally. uh, when they get there. You and know? the poem that is inscribed at its base, yeah. you know, give me your tired, your weak, your huddled ma- masses. I mean, yeah. that is like a, a joke now. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, segment who and how. Which character do you think you would be and how would you react in their place? The guy that freaks out. <laughs> What's his name? The guy that gets lobotomized. Oh, you'd be the lobotomized guy? That's funny. I, I decided I'd be Dodge the stuffed corpse. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be the guy going, holy shit, is that a... And I get shot and then, and then I'm stuffed and I'm just... That's a, another really funny yeah. scene. Yeah. Where, like funny confronting, you yeah. know... Uh, Twilight Zoney, you know, totally. when he's just like, oh. Yeah. It's oh. you. Yeah. Holy moly. <laughs> uh, segment Zero Charisma. Um, for me, and look, this isn't sexist, but it has to be Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah if you've I don't know anything about her. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I, can, I can barely remember her. I, I had to look up her name. Come on, Stuart. Project more as a corpse. <laughs> yeah, um, funnily enough, and you're probably going to hate me for saying this, I kind of think Charlton Heston. Really? Yeah, to me, he doesn't have a, like... <sighs> or maybe it's that I see, maybe in his anti-humanity rantings, I see too much of myself and there's a fear of like, oh God, I hope I'm not that uncharismatic when I'm ranting about the end of the world. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, if it's any consolation, I didn't think of you at all when That's I was nice. watching it. So because I don't have those, those muscles. Well, <laughs> maybe it's something for you to aim for. <laughs> maybe you have to aim for the Heston physique. But I... I that, that, that's interesting because I think he's full of charisma, even though I don't like him because he's so compelling. Like, you mm. know, I, I never take my eyes off him. In, in I find him compelling. Scene. I don't find him charismatic. Because to me, charisma is someone that I want to, that I find myself drawn to wanting to spend time with. And he is, I find him to be quite repellent in his right. rhetoric and his kind of, um, his coldness. Right. I, I recognize he has charisma, mm. but it's not. It's not charismatic to me. It's like me watching, you know, like a comedian kill to 20,000 people. He's, he's funny, mm. but I'm not laughing. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm saying about... That's how I'm looking at it. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, 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 fair enough. Um, yeah. Anyway, we're, we're splitting hairs. Splitting the, hairs. But, I, but I also, if he's playing it, like if, if he's as knowing as he is playing it, mm. then it's actually a really funny performance. Because he's because it's like you know what it's you know what it's it's not the same performance. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Uh, I'm not comparing the performances, but it's it's... Brad Pitt and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood coming into a movie and going, you know who I am? Brad Pitt, and I'm a fucking star. And this is the performance. Like, you, like I don't know, yeah, yeah, I don't know yeah. which other actor could have, like, he's coming in, I'm Charlton Heston, this is what I do, and here it comes. Oh, he, it yeah. had to be Charlton Heston. It couldn't yeah. be anyone else. Yeah. Because I think I heard an alternate, there was <laughs> some kind of alternate casting choice. I can't remember who it was. Ah. Maybe it was more like a Richard Dreyfus type. Not that it was Richard Dreyfus, but right. that kind of oh, like no, no, it has, no, no, no. You no, needed yeah. you needed all American fucking yeah. arrogant cunt. Uh he was involved pretty early. I didn't find too much on uh, on that stuff with him. But anyway, funny. Uh segment better or worse, ruin or improve the movie with one decision. Oh my 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 Do you want me to go first? Yeah, go first. I would have had Taylor teach the humans how to speak and then turn on the apes and then rechristen the town New Eden. <laughs> Thus, and then he's just having sex with Nova and all of the all the other eight ladies, prehistoric ladies, prehistoric ladies, prohistoric ladies. Oh yeah, post-historic ladies, histrionic ladies. No, 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 no. I would have. What would I have done to make this better or worse? Do you think maybe to make it better, you would have had him kind of. Be a, like have a few more contemplative moments of him working things out. Yeah, I think that would have. I definitely think that would have made it. Yeah, I think again when we when when we think about you know the impact that that twist would have had when this would, was released. Yeah, I think to have him throughout it, kind of, you know, or even if the film had given more hints other than what they already give, you know, because there is that line from one of the scientists of when are we, you know, yeah, that you mentioned yeah. earlier. Uh, so I think that there's a couple of clues for the audience to tweak what's going on, but I think had you had him kind of suspect that something, the reality of the situation before that big reveal would have made the movie a lot yeah. worse. Yeah, I think it. I think it's hard to do because you need to be, like, you oh, yeah. need to be in on him being shocked as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a it's a delicate balancing act. Mm. Uh, segment: Where are we now? How closer are we to the technology in the film? Can we fly via interstellar travel? One okay. proposal for an interstellar spacecraft is called the Starshot Initiative, which aims to shoot a super powerful laser on a light sail, a giant, nearly perfectly reflecting membrane, using the energy from the light to propel the spacecraft to a tenth the speed of light. That would enable us to reach Proxima Centauri in less than half a century. If we did it at the speeds we can travel now, it would take roughly 25,000 years. To make this work, 
you would have to use all the energy from every nuclear reactor in the US at once, and it would have to operate for 10 minutes. That is roughly a quadrillion times longer than we've ever operated our most powerful lasers. Also, wow. the spaceship would have to weigh no more than a paperclip. <laughs> so having said that, it, it actually isn't an impossible idea. It is just expensive and using technology that is possibly a long time away. How does that article go into how you could construct a vessel the size of a normal spaceship that weighs less than a paperclip? Which are uh, like nano nanotech, yeah, right? That that's that's essentially what they're saying. So we'd be able to shoot. So there is a, wow. like you know like uh, once again this is a rabbit hole that could have ended up being uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> another yeah, yeah. hour of the uh, podcast. But you know you would you would send little like ships, tiny ships. You know like not necessarily with people on it, but you'd be able to send it there and then have a look around and stuff like wow. that. Wow. Yeah, I heard something a long time ago about how to do interstellar travel. Uh, with humans, but it would be about uh, basically digitizing your consciousness. Right, yes. Putting it in a laser beam and shooting it across the universe. And that way, humans could do interstellar travel. You would just do it free of your body. Right. So your mind would be projected, which is... To me, is so much more horrifying. Yeah, but then it's horrifying. That, yeah, and and is that you or is that like, like then, that's then like into a whole other. Debate. That's like me burning a CD. <laughs> like, is that do I have the CD or is that are you the CD or are you the information on the CD? I have Whoa. no idea. I've wondered that for years. Uh, and then uh, segment sum it up. Uh, what does this me- movie mean to you? For me, it's just a reminder that we really have failed to progress since the sixties. <laughs> Yeah, which I think uh, completely complements the theme of the of the film, that humans are a fallen species and yeah. there is no hope. <laughs> yeah. I actually had more hope watching this, thinking, oh, I hope we uh, take after these guys. At least we're fit. Um, <laughs> all right. I've got some squid bits for you, and I'm going to mangle this because it's French. Uh, Planet of yes. the Apes is based on the 1963 novel La Planète des Sings by French writer Pierre Boulet. It was translated into English by British writer and translator Zan Fielding. Mm. And published as Monkey Planet in 1963. I'd see a movie called Monkey Planet. <laughs> Etymology, uh, incorrect in its terminology. Apes and monkeys are very different things. Yeah, sure. Monkey uh, Planet would be much more savage than Ape Planet. Yeah, right. Like yeah. monkeys are fucking, fucking terrifying. Yeah, it's like, holy moly. <laughs> apes, apes have a, um, other than chimpanzees when they go full bananas, but uh, apes have a... Um, a serenity to them. Right. You know, there's there's that idea of gorillas being savage animals. I think that's probably not so much the case anymore. Right. But they're very peaceful, yeah. loving animals. And orangutans are beautiful. Invariably, when you see them, they're just lounging around, having to think. Monkeys, yep. on the other hand, fuck. Man, you know, Awful. One, of, one of the most terrifying things I've seen in the real world in recent years was mm. when we were in deep lockdown the first time. Mm. And then the uh, the... Balinese uh, city monkeys got into a war with the mm. mountain monkeys who were coming down to find food, and yeah. it was... Yeah, it's full on. It's full on. There's Man, a... I'd rather get caught up in a gang war than that. <laughs> I, can't remember what the, I can't remember what the species of monkey are, but they're the ones that hang around all the um, Indian markets. Yep. Uh, and they're little motherfuckers, like yep. really, really clever. Yeah. Uh, and cheeky, and they, you know, they break into cars and all the rest. And this BBC documentary, Monkey Planet, which is outstanding, uh, they set up a fake home. Right. Filled with locked cabinets and all the rest. And they're right. just like, 
you know, they set it up with cameras and everything. They're like, we're just going to show you how devastating a monkey plate can be. And these guys come in and within 10 minutes have ransacked the place. Right. Torn cupboard doors off their hinges. Right. Just destroy, you know, we, we, people, people, in the, people in the West get upset about, you know, a cockroach or a mouse. It's yeah. like, you know, marauding, very intelligent animals coming into your home is much, much worse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Far out. What's that? Uh, is that Monkey Planet? It's called is Monkey it? Planet. Oh, it's a three-part series. It's outstanding. I'll have to... Um, have a look at that. That sounds fascinating. Uh, Pierre views his book as one of his lesser works and thought it would make a terrible movie. Um, in the book, it's about two vacationing travellers who are in space and they find a bottle floating through space that contains a manuscript. Mm. Uh, it is a diary written by a futuristic French astronaut who landed on a planet where humans are mute and treated like animals by civilised apes. Um you know what, if, if anyone ever wants to read it or look it up, uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. But there are a couple of twists that you might expect, but the way they're presented, like when right. I was reading all about it, it was like, oh, yeah, I can see why this was a tasty uh, right. uh, book to read at the time. Uh, the novel was adapted for the screen by Rod Serling and then rewritten by Michael Wilson. Uh, if you have time, once again, it is worth having a look online and the various debates on who wrote the ending. I still think it is... Uh, Rod, because um, he has an ending to an episode of The Twilight Zone that feels of a kind. Mm. So there's an episode where a- astronauts land somewhere and it's it's horrific. And then I think they realise that their ship turned around and that's why nobody could find them because right. the, 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 the NASA's looking for them in space and they've crash-landed back on Earth. And so they're, they're out in the desert. Yeah, I think it's like one of those things where guy's wandering and sees a car. It's like, what? <laughs> Rod Serling was a legend. Yeah. What a cool guy he was. Yeah, yeah. So smart. Yeah. You watch that first, particularly that first season of Twilight Zone. Ah. Oh. And it's like, man, I mean, other than Grant Morrison, I can't think of another writer where it was just like, you are teeming with ideas. Teeming with ideas. And, 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 and all the, it's so many of the classic tropes and twists that we take for granted now. They yeah. all came out of that guy's brain. And also, uh, you know, you watch some of those old episodes and you get creeped out. Oh, they're still. creepy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're great. Um, blah, 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 blah. Serling originally had a techn- technologically advanced city with apes driving cars, flying helicopters and conducting business in skyscrapers. <laughs> and, of course, money put the kibosh on that. So there's yeah. no way they were going to be able no, to make that. I think it's much better that they weren't like that. Uh, Michael Wilson introduced the sham trial, uh, which is interesting because he was a victim of blacklisting back in the 50s. Right. So that's kind of what he's bringing to the sure. table there. Sure. Uh, makes that scene even more yeah. interesting, knowing how personal it is. I love the orangutan that is uh, leading the trial. Yeah. His no-nonsense clip tone is h- hilarious to yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, the date on the ship's uh, chronometer was November 25th, 39.78. I just found that interesting. Uh, To convince Fox Studio to make the film, the producers shot a brief test scene Mm. from an earlier draft. In it, Heston played uh, an earlier version of Taylor named Thomas. Edward G. Robinson appeared as Zayas and James Brolin and Linda Harrison played Cornelius and Zira. Ursula Andrus and Raquel Welch were considered for the role of Nova. Geez, if it had been Raquel Welch, that would have been all over. Like, what a... like, Like, one of the... First, like, true beauties, I remember, uh, as a kid. I think my mum, I think I I, I kind of knew about Raquel Welch uh, and some of these, um, 
some of these actresses because mum was a fan of them. Because mum was short, she used to nickname herself Rachel Squelch. So, uh, <laughs> which is, uh, I've kept that uh, tradition going because when I played basketball, I love Magic Johnson. I used to call myself Tragic Justin. So, <laughs> you, that's where you get the sense of humour, right? Uh, the rights for the movie were bought back uh, before the book was published. The ending was tried in storyboards in quite a few ways. One was to have the statue located in a jungle. Uh, another had it littered across the ground in pieces. Uh, the scene where the judges imitate the see no evil, speak no evil, hear oh, no evil uh, scene with the monkeys was improvised and kept in the film because it received a positive response at test screenings. According to associate- It's very ham-fisted, but it's great. Yeah, yeah, it is, great. you know, it, it is, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like that. Oh, anyway, I'll get to it in a sec. According to associate producer Mort Abrahams, an unnamed writer, and he's unnamed because Mort could literally not remember the writer's name, came in and added jokes to the dialogue. So I think he right. added maybe that part. So that's why there are some kind of quite obvious gags in mm-hmm. it. It took 100 makeup artists, wardrobe workers, and hairstylists to get all of the actors in costume and ready for shooting. For some of the larger scenes, there were around 200 actors to do this for. Uh, lunchtime led to unintended uh, segregation. Yes. The human actors, chimpanzees, orangutans, and gorillas all fell in line, leading Charlton Heston. So they all just fell in line to yeah. where they ate. And it led Charlton Heston to say, I have no explanation for it whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in 1969, there wasn't an Oscar for makeup. John Chambers' work was so outstanding, he received an honorary Oscar for outstanding makeup achievement. Walter Matthau came out to present the award with a chimpanzee in a tuxedo. Um, <laughs> which seems oh, ironic. Hollywood. Yeah. When Kim Hunter approached Heston out of makeup, he had no idea who she was because he had. N- Never met her not dressed as a chimp. <laughs> so she's talking, hey, how are you today? He's like, good. Yeah. Are you a fan? Yeah, so funny. Uh, in the original script, all the women were bare-breasted, but this was changed due to censorship issues. Uh, the producer probably would have seen it uh, a lot more when I was younger, if that was the case. Uh, the producer enlisted, you know what, it probably needed some boobs and some wangs. Like, that really would have, uh, you know, locked it in. If it was, uh, if it was a European film... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That You would have seen a lot of full frontal nudity. Oh, yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of muff. Yep. That would have been great. Yep. There should be the muff version of Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Release the muff cut. The muff cut. <laughs> the muff cut of Planet of the Apes. Uh, the producer... <laughs> I have not thought of that word in such a long time, and it is a funny word. Uh, the producer enlisted several journalists to play apes in the background, which was smart because that ensured that they wrote about the film. Ah, very good. Kim Hunter found the makeup quite claustrophobic and started taking a Valium before being made up as Zira. The one time she didn't, her makeup artist insisted she had to because he was exhausted after wrestling with her to get it all done. So she must have been... But when she had Valium, she was like, just sat there and he could (laughs) apply it properly. And finally, John Chambers, who designed the makeup for the film... Also designed Spock's pointy ears in Star Trek. So he has had an impact on uh, sci-fi and popular culture uh, in quite an extraordinary way. Uh, A good movie to go back to. And uh, I I thought it was a a good suggestion as well to go and check that one out. Yeah. I think it's it's one of those ones. I think it's important to go back and uh, rewatch and discuss those films that... Uh, maybe a little bit forgotten, but whose DNA is rife throughout all of sci-fi. Yeah, and also to kind of, 
you know, it's it, it sounds like homework, but to go back and overcome the pop culture references yes. and what it's become and, and ignore that it's a meme or whatever yeah, and just kind yeah. of watch it for what it is and really uh, be able to appreciate uh, the impact that it must have totally. had on, uh, on a culture totally. back then. And if for no other reason than to uh, reappreciate the Troy McClure Planet of the Apes musical. <laughs> Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. <laughs> Thank you to Ben for joining me on this great look back at a wonderful film. Ben will be back next week as well as we continue our Deep Dive Director series on David Lynch. This time we're looking at the controversial Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me movie. And look, this is a really interesting podcast. Like, I don't want to give anything away, but it goes into some interesting places. Uh, One of us has some real issues. And then another one of us, well, one of us has some new perspective on the tale of Laura Palmer. And uh, the person who has that perspective might be dragging the other one back from the abyss. I'm not going to tell you which one of us it is. You can probably work it out. You listen to the podcast. You know our backgrounds. Uh, anyway, that will be out next week. So if you had a, have a bit of time and want to rewatch the movie, uh, you have uh, you have time to do so. And uh, yeah, get yourself prepped for this podcast. Thank you once more to our Patreon subscriber of the episode, Taylor. Uh, thank you to you and actually all of our Patreon supporters who help make this podcast viable to produce. Uh, we still have some big plans coming up and all of this helps us get it out there. And uh, yeah, especially on the creative side, that's the part that I'm dying to get to. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton underscore Big Squid. Or if money is tight and you'd still like to support us, a top review on Apple Podcasts or just good word of mouth with your friends is always appreciated. Let's finish today with a quote from Rod Serling. The writer's role is to menace the public's conscience. He must have a position, a point of view. He must see the arts as a vehicle of social criticism and he must focus on the issues of his time. That's the quote. We, we can throw in she as well, or they. How about we... I love that quote so much, but I... Just for the times, I'm going to change that to the writer's role is to menace the public's conscience. They must have a position, a point of view. They must see the arts as a vehicle of social criticism and they must focus on the issues of their time. There we go. Updated it for you. (laughs) Without much effort either, so (laughs) let's not give me a round of applause here. (laughs) All right, until then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.